Hello, good afternoon, and a Tuesday warm, very big sauna that is called the state of Texas these days. Uh, I am Bill Allen coming to you live from downtown Tyler, Texas. If you're watching live, that is, it's recorded at 3 p.m. Central Daylight Time on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, coming to you on Tuesdays, sharing uh, from uh, the book by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, a wonderful daily devotional book. And then also on Thursdays from the book by Timothy and Kathy Keller uh, on the songs of Jesus on the book of the Psalms. And we'll be covering that, uh, another great psalm, on Thursday. Today we're in First Peter chapter 2. Uh, we begin in First Peter chapter 2 as we consider the idea of the priests and the priesthood. Uh, you know what those are. I mean, you've seen them around. We have them portrayed on modern uh, media and television and down the street in the local churches. Uh, some of the churches have priests and separate priesthoods. Some of them have separate clothing for priests and all of that. And uh, we're very familiar with that. We're very familiar with, uh, many of us are familiar with the Old Testament priesthood. Uh, the descendants of Levi, remember your Bible history now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was the one with the 12 sons and a daughter. And one of those sons was Levi. Abraham lived in around 2000 BC or BCE, if you prefer. And so Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac's son was Jacob. And it was Jacob that had the 12 sons, and one of those 12 was Levi, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, from which that nation uh, comes today. And descended from uh, that nation was uh, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah, referred to in the Old Testament as the lion. And so you hear the lion of Judah. Uh, but uh, Jesus was a member of the tribe of Judah. Moses and his brother Aaron and their sister Miriam uh, were descended from Levi. Levi was another, uh, Judah's brother, was another one of the sons of Abraham. And from Levi became what was called the Levites. The Levites were descendants of Levi, as you would figure. And when Moses was building the tabernacle and the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness, and then later when they settled in Jerusalem, uh, the Levites had a special role in the worship of God, taking care of some of the sacred things that God would instruct Moses to build and to make in order to worship him according to the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Uh, well, the Levites were one of those. They were special. They were a special tribe of, of individuals who took care especially of the worship and the worship uh, materials of, of the Jews, of the Israelites. Well, you skim down to the days of Moses, somewhere around 1500 BCE, let's say. And uh, Moses, of course, delivers the people from Egyptian bondage. They cross the Red Sea. They go into the um, uh, wilderness to Mount Sinai, and that's where Moses is given the law. And in that law, it says that the Levites are to take special care, just as they have been doing, really, of some of the worship, but specifically in the time of Moses onward. And not just all, any of the Levites could be priests. It had to be a descendant of Aaron. Aaron, Moses' brother, became the first high priest, the first priest. 
and then the uh, his the eldest son going down from him would be uh, the next high priest upon his death, and that's how that carried on in succession. All of the descendants of Aaron, uh, the males, were considered to be uh, priests. Interestingly enough, Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, the parents of John the Baptist, were both descended from Aaron. They were both of that priestly tribe. And so there's an interesting thing there as you consider uh, what the role of the priest is. In the Old Testament, it was very clear, laid out in the law, descendants of Aaron, Aaron would be the high priest. They had special garb that they had to wear. They had special feast days that they had to do special things on. They would offer up the sacrifices for the people on the altar of God, the animal sacrifices <clears throat> or uh, grain or other sacrifices for the people. And they were basically intercessors. They would intercede for the people. The high priest, first Aaron, and then the descendants after him, would uh, offer up a special uh, sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur. And now you're thinking of the great Neil Diamond song and musical uh, that he made uh, for uh, as a Jewish story. It was really a great, great uh, story. But um, Aaron was the first priest, and then you, uh, the first high priest. And so on the Day of Atonement, um, then uh, the high priest would offer up sacrifices for the whole nation, for himself first and then for the nation of Israel. Uh, and so the role of the priest was to offer sacrifices to intercede to God in behalf of the people. And so the priesthood was very, very significant. Okay, now let's fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus dies on the cross. He's raised from the dead. The old law is uh, done away with. And starting in Acts chapter 2, when you have the New Testament church begun, it's no longer uh, a special priesthood dependent upon your descendants. Finally, when we get to Acts chapter 10 and the first non-Jewish convert, uh, Cornelius, a centurion, a Roman officer, and his family are baptized into Christ, we realize that you don't even have to be a descendant of Abraham uh, to be a part of God's kingdom, the church. Okay, so where does that leave the priests and the priesthood? Well, you don't have the Jewish nation anymore as far as that chosen people. Now the chosen people is the church, people from every land, from every ethnicity, in every uh, economic situation, in every geographical center of the earth. They can all become a Christian by believing in Jesus, repenting of their sins, changing their lives to be more of what God wants them to be, confessing that that's their faith and confessing their sin, and being baptized into Christ. Saul of Tarsus, who had become the Apostle Paul, was told, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away calling upon his name. He was, even though he had been praying and fasting for three days, even though he had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus, Acts 9 tells us, and also Acts 22 and Acts 26, still he was told, get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. Yes, it's true that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but what does that mean? Well, according to the Bible, it, it includes baptism as a part of that response of faith. And so where does, again, the question is, well, where, where does that leave the priesthood? And who exactly are the New Testament uh, priests? Well, there's a lot to be said about all of that. And I think where we need to go is 
1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read this, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, Christ, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he's not just talking to a particular group of individuals there as Peter is writing in what is likely modern-day Turkey, perhaps the central northern part of modern-day Turkey. He's writing to all the Christians. And what he tells them is, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That was one of the roles of the priests and the priesthood of the Old Testament time, to offer sacrifices. In the New Testament, all Christians are able to do that. We, we do that. We offer acceptable sacrifices. We don't uh, take animals and butcher them and sacrifice them on an altar. Um, but what we do is we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Listen to these words in Romans chapter 12. Um, Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not, not sacrificing, not having our lives taken from us, unless we're called upon to do that. But really what Paul is telling the Christians in Rome, the capital of the empire at this time, is that they are to live for Jesus. They are to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. And that's very much priestly terms and language. And that's meant for all Christians. But then verse 2 continues. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, those two verses capture a lot of what the role of the priests in the Old Testament times was about. To offer up sacrifices, to a study from God's word, and to share that with the people. Uh, this past Sunday morning in our Bible classes, many of us were looking at a, a passage out of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, chapter 8. When the Jews had gone back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity, they had been gone for decades, and now they were back, and they were trying to rebuild the temple, which they did, rebuild the walls, which Nehemiah led them to do. Uh, but now they're, they're reading from the law, and Ezra, who was a priest, actually a descendant of Levi and Aaron, Ezra, the priest, uh, led them in the reading and the study of God's Word, the Bible. We would call it the Bible. And Ezra read from that, and all the people listened, and the Levites helped him, and the other priests helped him in uh, talking to the people about what that meant and how they applied it to their lives. Well, that's what uh, Romans 12 says we are to do as Christians. But there's another passage, and it's a passage in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 verses 15 and 16 also talks about New Testament Christians, all Christians today, being priests themselves. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. 
the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. That's that direct worship. And we all can do that. You don't have to rely on the preacher. You don't have to rely on a special priest. You do that yourself. Uh, you offer up uh, continually to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. You can sing your praises to God. You can pray. Uh, you can do all of those things in direct worship, studying God's word. But then the verse goes on, the next verse in verse 16 of Hebrews 13, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Again, it goes back to the work of the priest, uh, offering up the sacrifices that the people would bring to them. Well, here we offer those up ourselves. And in this case, it's more of an indirect type of worship to God. The, the good deeds that we do, doing good and sharing with others with such sacrifices God is pleased. That's the work of the New Testament priest and priesthood, and that means it's the work of all of us. We go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember, we're living stones being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, just as Romans 12 and Hebrews 13 said. Now let's skip down to verse 9 of 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful or marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11 of 1 Peter 2, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, and these people too had been exiled. They were refugees from Palestine away because of their faith. I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Well, that whole passage reeks with uh, thoughts and languages and observances that um, terms that really reflect the priesthood of the Old Testament. Uh, we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood or priestly kings or a kingdom of priests, however you want to translate that, a holy royal priesthood. That's who we are in the church. All of those who have named the name of Christ and have been baptized into Christ, they are members of that holy nation, that royal priesthood, that chosen people, God's special possession. I think some versions translate that a peculiar people. I've been called peculiar before, but this has a little bit different meaning. God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, that was part of the role of the priesthood to offer up sacrifices, but also to declare the word of the Lord. And, and that's what all Christians are called to do. Jesus gave that great commission at the end of his life, just before he ascended into heaven in Matthew 28, the last three verses of the book of Matthew uh, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age, Jesus promised. Well, 
In the Old Testament, that would be the work of the priests to do all those things. In the New Testament, still the work of the priests. It's just that all Christians are priests. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I think that means that we give our lives for the sake of others. That's what the Old Testament priests did. They were called upon to really be messengers of God to the people and messengers of the people to God. And so they would go to them for intercession. They would intercede in behalf of the people just like Moses, uh, Aaron did when he offered up uh, that bull, the blood of that bull uh, on the altar on the Day of Atonement or when the priests offered up the blood of animals, bulls, goats, calves in the Old Testament times at the altar of God. And we are called upon to do uh, just that. Uh, we are not to worry about ourselves and to be concerned ultimately about ourselves. It's natural to be concerned about us and to provide for our own needs and the needs of those that we love and share with others in need as best we can. That's certainly true and appropriate and biblical. But for the Christian, it goes beyond that. For the Christian, like the Old Testament priest, we seek to intercede for others. Uh, we seek to think not just about ourselves, but to actually put others before ourselves. Jesus himself said, uh, the, the pagans, the unbelievers, they, they go about fending for themselves and, and putting themselves as number one and serving themselves. But for the Christian, for my disciples, for the dis disciples of Christ, uh, Jesus said, uh, you are called not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. That's what he said he did. And we do that same thing, not in the way that he did by being killed on a cross, but like Romans 12 said, offering up our bodies as living sacrifices. We seek to live for others. We seek to help them come to know the Christ that we have come to trust our lives in. It's interesting, we've been going through the book of Job on Sunday mornings. If you're following us, I hope you are online, or if you're here in person, um, we're studying through the book of Job in June and July. And, and it's interesting, at the end of the book, when Job is affirmed by God because he uh, treated his suffering honestly, did not deny the reality of it all, and, and honestly struggled with that and brought his struggles to God, um, and then repented when God uh, confronted him. After that, God goes to Job's three friends and says, hey, go to my servant Job and ask him to pray for you. He treated me honestly. He didn't deny the reality of all of this. Uh, and, and so they did, and Job prayed for them, and uh, they were forgiven because Job interceded for them. Uh, we pray, Lord, purify my heart uh, so that I can serve others. And we, and like Job, <laughs> the question of the book of Job, does a person serve God for nothing? If, if nothing were in it for them, physical or emotional, would they continue to serve God? That's the real question of the book of Job. Asked by Satan himself, does Job fear God for nothing after God had bragged on Job? And then God let Satan take everything away from him. Uh, and yet Job continued to hold on to his relationship with God. He, he took God to task and he called him out and he, he verbalized the frustration and the anger of, he felt over what he saw was unjust treatment. Uh, and, um, 
somewhere in there Job must have gone too far because he does repent in the end but um, but God forgave him and he calls on his friends to go to Job to have him pray for him we don't look to God to and and promise him pray to him Lord we'll follow you if you just take care of us if you just do this 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 and this if you answer all my prayers yes then I'll serve you and I'll follow you that's not the way it works uh, we turn to God in trust and in faith and in obedience and not knowing how it's going to work out for us in this life just knowing that God will be there just as Jesus promised I will be with you always the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us God has said I will never leave you nor forsake you um, Job saw some of his losses restored it wasn't the same because he had lost children in that you can't replace children he had other children but not the same and yet it was a blessing to him um, our business um, uh, Oswald Chambers says as a saved soul the real business of your life is intercessory prayer and again that's not talking about me as a preacher it's talking about all of us as Christians why because of what we call the priesthood of believers because what Paul what Peter says in 1st Peter chapter 2 you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I hope today that this lesson has been helpful for you. I hope it's been a reminder. It's certainly been to me, but to all of us, that we're all priests of God. If you've named the name of Christ, if you've been uh, buried with Christ through baptism into death and raised to live a new life, as Paul says in Romans 6, then that new life is a life as a royal priest. Uh, a part of a holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, uh, a people of God's own possession. That's how he thinks of you. And now he's got a task for you. That's your identity. The identity of New Testament priests is every Christian, every child of God. The role, the work of New Testament priests is, in a sense, very similar to the role of Old Testament priests, to offer that intercessory prayer. Do you pray for others, your family, your nation, your friends, yourself, your church, your church leaders? I hope you do. I hope you do. I do regularly. Do you, do you offer up prayers for their forgiveness, that God would bless them for your own? That's a part of the role of a priest, and New Testament priests are all Christians. We're all part of that chosen nation, that royal priesthood. But we're also called to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. Do you share that message of God? Do you tell others what a blessing Jesus is in your life and how he's not only saved you from your sins, but how he has made you a priest in his kingdom and how the person you're talking to, he'll do the same for them. I look forward to being with you on Thursday as we take another look into the wonderful book of Psalms. God bless.